Um, so today I'm going to continue our series on 1 Peter, um, and it's part six of the series, and uh, we're looking at uh, the main theme of 1 Peter is helping us to understand how we can live well when things are difficult, <laughs> all right? And it's really appropriate for us right now, when things are difficult, how do you live well? How do you live in a godly way when things are difficult? And so I'm going to preach a couple of verses this morning just to help us um, focus on that again, that main theme. And uh, if you've got your Bibles or if you want to just look at the screen, 1 Peter 1 verse 17 to verse 19 says this, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish, without defect. Such a beautiful, powerful verse. And so what I want to just simply remind you of this morning that if you are saved, you were bought with a great price. And we're going to look at what that means. You were bought with a great price. And my message this morning simply follows on from what Clive began the last time we were together around this main thought of how we can continue to learn to live a godly and a holy life in difficult times. And so Peter does, an, uh, does this in a number of, of ways. And the first thing, uh, one of the things that Clive mentioned last time is that Peter says, Prepare your mind. Get ready. And what he's trying to say by that is that he's trying to get us to realize that each of us as believers has a responsibility to control our own life. We, we have to be determined to live in a godly way, knowing that we have a hope that is eternal and secure, and our hope is a living hope because our hope is Jesus. And so Clive encouraged us last time. Uh, when he preached about how we can learn to prepare our minds. And then in verse 14, just to kind of tie into what we've preached over the last couple of weeks, Peter begins to give reasons why these people reading the letter should be holy, why they must be holy. And he, first of all, he starts simply with the character of God. And he says in verse 14 and 15, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. And so if the first thing he does, he says, if you want to live to um, a holy life, he appeals to the character of God. And he says the, the main reason that we should be aiming at living a holy life is because God himself is holy and he, can't, he doesn't tolerate what is unholy. And so as we are transformed to be more and more like him, his character begins to be formed in us. And the, the, the motivation for us is that we want to be holy because the God that we worship is holy. That's the first thing that Peter points us to. And then secondly, today, in verse 17, he says another interesting thing. He says, our God, our loving Father, the one that we spoke about in worship today and the one that we worshiped with all of our hearts, that loving Father that we can confidently approach and know that we face no condemnation, that same Father is also an impartial judge. So God is both loving, full of grace, but also full of truth. He's an impartial judge. And what does that mean? It's what it says simply here in verse 17. 
since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So what Peter is saying is if you begin to understand that God is an impartial judge, you're going to throw off some things in your life here on earth because there's a reverent fear that begins to come into your life when you realize who God is. That's why you want to live a holy life. And so there's a real tension for us as Christians that we have to live in as disciples of Jesus. Jesus has made it possible for us to know our Father in heaven in the most intimate and confident way, and we can boldly and confidently come to Him knowing that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And we can approach Him as Abba, as Father. And that is an incredible thing. That's an amazing thing to meditate on and think about. But Peter is also saying that God... Because he's just, because he's holy, he cannot compromise in any way on that day of judgment. And just because we are his children, just because we can approach him as a tender father, he does not have any favorites. And even on the day of judgment, those that know him by faith, everything that is not godly in our lives on that day will be burned up. And we will suffer loss for things that are not godly in our lives. That's, that's exactly what Peter is saying. And verse 17 is quite plain. It simply says, God, as an impartial judge, judges each person's work in their lives. Isn't that interesting? So we, it's, Peter's not saying we're not being judged for our faith. Once saved, always saved. Once you put your faith in Jesus and you trust him with your life by faith, you're saved by grace, through faith. Once that's happened, you never lose your salvation. What Peter is saying is on that day, your work, how you've chosen to live here on this earth will be judged. Even as a Christian, your work will be judged. And everything that is not godly will be burnt up. And uh, there's this fascinating uh, verse um, in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that we're going to look at um, in, a, in a short while. But Peter here is, is making it quite clear that our reward in heaven one day will be based on what we've done here on earth and how we have lived. And so he reminds them, he says, remember, you're foreigners on this earth. You, you are aliens here. You are just passing through this world. And so be careful how you live. Live with the reverence in your life. Live with the fear of God, knowing that everything that is not of God in your life will be burnt up on that final day. And so it does matter how we live. And this, this begs a very good question. Does, if, if I'm saying to you that God is a loving Father who can be confidently approached, and we do that as, as His sons and daughters, should we also be afraid of Him? Well, here again, the answers are not always easy. It's not yes or no. In, in this case, it's actually both. It's yes and no. So, of course, we can confidently approach God without fear because we, we, we know that there's no condemnation for us. But at the same time, this reverence that we have for God, this holy fear helps us to throw off everything on, in our lives right now that is not godly. And that's, that's exactly what um, Peter is driving at here. So, verse 17 each is repaid according to his or her work. 
And the other, the other portions in the scripture where that same kind of language is used, and it makes it quite clear. Romans chapter 2, for example, in verse 6 says this, God will repay each person according to what they have done. It's not talking about salvation. It's talking about your reward. It's talking about that eternal glory that waits for you in heaven one day. Or 2 Timothy 4 verse 8 says this, one of my favorite portions. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, there it is again, the impartial righteous judge, will award me on that day, Paul speaking to Timothy, but not only to me, to all who have longed for his appearing. Isn't that beautiful? So he's saying the same, Paul's saying the same thing. The impartial judge who saved us by faith on that day will reward everyone according to his or her work. And so what Peter's saying should really motivate us deeply as Christians to live with a healthy fear of what it's going to be like one day to be rewarded and paid back by God according to how we've lived. That's an awesome thing to think about. And, and meditating upon that should spur us on, every one of us, to leave behind everything that's worldly. To realize that actually this life is, in tra is, is transient and we're not, it's not our permanent home. And I'm not talking here about um, a worldliness that says don't drink alcohol or uh, be careful what clothes you wear. Or those are kind of petty things in the light of eternity. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is a worldliness which is a day-to-day -day life that's not much different from the rest of the world. A kind of worldliness where our passion and our desire for comfort and wealth stop us living for other people. Stop us caring for other people. It's a worldliness where we excuse our own sin and make one set of rules for ourselves, and we are, see everybody else in a completely different way. We're very kind to ourselves, but not to other people. And so we live without compassion for others. That's the kind of worldliness I'm talking about. And I want to say to you, if we live like that as Christians, we will suffer loss on that day. We will suffer loss. And here, there's this, uh, uh, this has always perplexed me, this, this um, uh, verse in Corinthians, because it says there are some in, on that day who will be saved, but as if through fire. And I'll read it to you. It says this, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation, that's Jesus, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because that day, speaking of the day of judgment, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if what built survives, the builder will receive his reward. If it's burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, yet he will be saved, even though only as one escaping the flames. It's fascinating, isn't it? Paul is saying... He's writing to the Corinthian church. Be careful how you live because actually you will get to heaven, but actually it's like a lot of what you've built in your life is going to be purified in the fire and it won't remain, and only what is pure will remain. Now, I was chatting with Clive at the uh, staff meeting on Friday, and he had, a, he, he had a fascinating illustration that someone told him. So uh, imagine this. Imagine it's the day of judgment and you are appearing before the Lord, and all the works of your life are made plain before him. 
all right? And his refining fire comes and begins to burn all of those works. And only what is pure is left. And, and at the end of the process, there's this, just as in a refiner's fire with metal, there's this little bowl of pure gold. That's what the crown of your life is going to be made from, that pure gold. And so, my friends, it's, this is not to put any fear in, in anybody, but it is to encourage us to live in a righteous way, in a holy way. And that's Peter's main motivation is, actually, God is holy and righteous. Live with that in your mind and be careful how you live now because you want to have a crown one day of righteousness that awaits you. And everything in your life that is not godly, that remains ungodly, will be burnt away and you will suffer loss. And only what is pure will remain. And then I find this also fascinating. The second thing that Peter reminds them of is he says God's not only an impartial judge, but he says the blood of Christ was intended to purify your life. And in verse 19 he says this, For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, that's brought back from the empty way of, way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, who is a lamb without blemish or defect. Let's just consider this verse uh, as I bring things to a close. The first thing is to consider what does it mean to be redeemed? And simply put, redemption is when a person, so in, in, in the ancient world it would have been a slave or someone who was a criminal, was sentenced to death. They were set free by the payment of a price. That's the picture. And that picture is a picture that the Scripture uses to describe what it means to be saved. That we are redeemed. We are redeemed. First of all, this means there's four implications for our lives. First of all, before we were saved, all of us were in captivity. And we were slaves absolutely to sin. And none of us could save ourselves. I always use the picture of a drowning man. Yeah, if you're drowning, if you're in Bournemouth Beach or down somewhere in, in, in uh, Cornwall and you get into trouble, you don't stand on the shore saying, hey, you need to learn to swim. What do you do? You can't, the person can't save themselves. A lifesaver gets into the water and saves them, rescues them, redeems them out of the water because they can't do it in themselves. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. We were captives to slaves. There was a power of sin in our lives that we could not break from ourselves. We could not break out of that power ourselves. The penalty of that power of sin in your life is death. There's only one person who can save you. You cannot save yourself. This is the Christian message. The world says you can save yourself. You try hard. You get educated. You be a good person. That will save you. The Christian message is none of us can save ourselves. We need Savior. And what else does um, this implication for our lives is that, secondly, Jesus pays the full price for us to release us from this bondage, this bondage over this power of sin and this, this death penalty that's in our lives. And for that to happen, thirdly, the person who, who pays the price must live a sinless life. It does really matter that Jesus lived a sinless life because if he didn't live a sinless life, you and I cannot be redeemed. Because God can only look on something that is sinless and perfect. And fourthly, uh, that's, what, that's why when, when Jesus, uh, God asks us to live a certain way, he's simply asking us to do what Jesus has already done for us. That's the basic motivation. And then fourthly, and I think this is really, really 
fascinating to think about. You know, when Jesus saves us, we are set free from our sin. Absolutely. That's the second thing that it means to be saved. When Jesus buys you, he buys you. You belong to him. You do not belong to yourself anymore. Your life belongs to him. He has bought you to himself. That's why we use this language in the Christian faith. I am his and he is mine. You do not own your life anymore once you've put your faith into Jesus. He owns your life. He motivates you. He says, this is what I want you to do. I, I find this fascinating because you know what I see more and more in the world? Our individual Western rights are clashing with the gospel. The gospel says, live for other people. You have died to your rights. Live for others. The one who has a right over your life is Jesus. He motivates you. He tells you what you should value. He asks you to do certain things for him. Our Western culture says this. The most important thing in your life is your personal rights, your personal freedom, your personal right to choose this and to say no to that and to say, I will do this and I won't do that. It's my right. How many protests haven't we seen in the last six months? Protests about everything. This is my right to believe. This is my right to do this. Jesus says, when you're living for me, my kingdom has first right in your life, and everything else is second. You no longer have rights. <laughs> he has the right over your whole life. Not that you don't have rights. You understand what I'm saying. The most important thing is his kingdom, and everything else comes second. And so that's what it means to be redeemed. To be redeemed means to be forgiven, but to be bought, that your life is bought with a great price. And that's what Peter is saying we need to recognize. So I want to conclude by saying this. I've said it many times, but let me say it again. When the Bible teaches about living a holy life, it never starts with a list of rules. It never starts and says, here are the rules, you obey the rules, you live a holy life. That's religion. That's legalism. If you think Christianity is about obeying rules primarily, it's not. Christianity always starts with what God has done for us. And because of what God has done for us, we respond to what God has done. And that causes us, us to live in a different way from the inside out. Not from the outside in. That's what rules do. They push from the outside and say, if you obey the rules, you're going to be all right. No, Christianity says, on the inside out, I'm already all right. Because Jesus has bought me with a great price. I'm forgiven. I am his. He is mine. His Holy Spirit is dwelling in me, changing me from day to day. And because that's happening on the inside, it causes the outside, what people see, to change. And so we live with a different motivation. We live in a, a motivation that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you were bought by a great price. That's the last thing I want to point to your attention. Do you notice that Peter says, throw off the empty ways that were handed down to you by your ancestors. Don't you find that fascinating? All of us have a nationality. All of us have a tribe. All of us have a community that we were raised in. All of us have ethnic backgrounds that have influenced our lives and have made, helped to make us the people that we are today. The difficult question to every one of us needs to ask ourselves is this. What have I inherited from my ethnicity, my community, 
my family, my parents? What have I inherited in my life? The ways, some of which are empty, are useless, that are not going to do me any good. Those things are going to be burned up on that day. So Peter's challenging us in a very direct way. He's saying, take the time to look at yourself and to look at your life and what's influenced you, where you've grown up, some of the things that perhaps your parents have taught you that are not kingdom things, and realize that you have to throw some of those things off to embrace the fullness of the kingdom. Are you with me? That's a great challenge. Because I have to look at my life and say, well, what did my parents get right? What didn't they get right? And I guess my own sons are doing that right now. What did we get right? What didn't we get right? What can they, what, what can they take from us and put into life, that is put into their lives, which is the gospel? What things do they need to throw off for that, what were my own prejudices or my own insecurities that I passed on to them? All of us have to do that. Why? Because those things that are empty and are not thrown off will be burned up on that day. They're not going to serve us any good. So Peter says, throw them off. And so my encouragement to you, and I know it is a challenge, what things do you need to throw off in terms of your life? What things can you identify in your own life that you've inherited from your culture or from your ethnicity or from the community that you grew up in that displeased God that you need to throw off? Peter says there, for all of us, whatever our background, there are some good things but there are some empty things that we need to throw off so we can fully embrace his kingdom. So my last encouragement to you is this. Be different by the power of the Spirit because you are different. Why are you different? Because you've been bought with a great price, the blood of Jesus. His eternal your eternal salvation was bought by the precious blood of Jesus. You were bought by, bought by a great price. Throw off everything that entangles, everything that is uh, empty, lifeless, and live by the power of the Spirit so that on that day we will receive that reward which is pure and all that is ungodly will be burned away. And what remains is that precious crown that awaits for all of us. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for your amazing power in our lives. We, we want to thank you for your grace that's brought us. I want to thank you, Lord, that when you save us, you forgive us completely. Thank you too, Lord, that you own, you own us that our lives become yours and you become ours and you start to show us new things to live for in your kingdom. That at the end of the day, what is most important is your kingdom and what you've called us to. And I just pray for us all, Lord, in this culture in which we are currently having to learn to live well in that demands all sorts of things from us and identifies so many areas that are supposed to be most important. We thank you at the end of the, the day. Your kingdom is the most important thing, and we want to live for that. Help us, Lord, to live wisely. Help us, Lord, to live with courage, to stand for things that are godly and that you have for us, and to throw off everything, even those things that we've inherited from our own families that are not helpful.
We want to throw those off so that we can have that crown one day of righteousness, that beautiful crown, the well done, good and faithful servant that you want to speak over all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone says, Amen.